book. I got a free Bible. Those were the words of the young girls who received a copy of God's word from the Gideon at a school distribution. She was so excited, she could hardly wait to get home and tell her father. But her father was unfamiliar with God's word. So he told her, I can't let you read that until I first read it. So I got to at least look through it. And if I feel it's okay, I'll give it back to you. She said, I'll tell you what, I'll take it to work with me tonight. And if I get a chance, I'll look through it. So you see, her father was a miner. And as planned, he went to work that night. But what he didn't plan was there was a collapse in the mine. And unfortunately, all the miners were killed, including the girl's father. Three days later, they discovered the miners. And they found that testament. That father was holding on to it, and they gave it back to his daughter. She started looking through the testament, and she came to the inside of the back cover, where in every testament that the Gideons hand out is the plan of salvation, and there's a signature line there for someone to sign if they accept Jesus as their personal Savior. Well, not only did she see her father's signature there, but all 30 miners who worked alongside her father that night signed their names too. Amen? Ladies and gentlemen, God is using the Gideon ministry to change lives and grow his kingdom. Who are the Gideons? We're an association of over 300,000 business and professional men and their wives. Placing God's word in 100 countries, excuse me, 200 countries and 100 different languages. Gideon served as an extended missionary arm of this church with a single purpose, to reach men and women, boys and girls, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We accomplished our purpose through a very simple strategy of handing physical copies of God's Word to schools and colleges and hotels, motels, to police and firemen, hospitals, and the list goes on and on. By God's grace, over this last year, we handed out over 84 million scriptures. Overall, we just surpassed handing out 2 billion scriptures. We never know how God may use even a single copy of His Word, like in the Philippines where a testament was given to a young boy named Tika. Tika started reading that testament. He became a Christian and eventually he became a pastor. His prayer was that his five sons would all become pastors as well. All five of his sons became pastors. And 15 of his grandsons became pastors, resulting in the founding of over 500 churches in the Philippines. None of this would be possible without your help. Please pray for us. Without your faithful prayer support, this ministry would fail to go forward as it has now for over 117 years. If you're considering making a financial gift to the Gideons, one of these small testaments costs only $1.30. That's 10 for $13, or a case of 100 for $130. And the Gideons want to be good stewards, and we can honestly say that every single penny you give goes towards the printing, the shipping, and placement of God's Word. At the end of this service, we'll have three tables with Gideons available at each one of those tables to answer any questions you may have and to collect any donations the Lord may be laying on your heart to give. And if you elect, you can utilize the mailer insert in your bulletin. We also have some information to hand out as part of our ministry, new ministry called the Friends of the Gideons. It's a way in which non-members can play a vital part of the Gideons International. And I'll close with this. God has opened a door that has been closed for a long time. The Gideons International is now legally distributing scriptures in the People's Republic of China. 
Please listen to what one Gideon wrote about his experience at one of the distributions that he had the part privilege of participating in in China. We simply could not get inside the meeting hall. They had heard of these visitors who were coming to give away Bibles, and the building was overflowing with people desiring a copy of God's Word. So there we stood, waiting at the gate with 1,000 Bibles. As they passed by, each person humbly bowed their head, rejoicing joyfully over their own personal copy. As the last person passed, we noticed Li Ling, a severely crippled woman, crawling along the concrete. What an honor to be the one who placed a copy of God's word in the hands of one so needy. She rejoiced over the gift, saying she had prayed for many years for her own copy of God's word. Today was her day. Pastor, congregation, thank you for your time. God bless you. Do your work as only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Bob. Yes, Jim, stay up here. And if a couple of the elders, elders who are close by, just come on, run up here real quick, because we're going to try to do this as we continue in the morning. Don't want to have too many things going on. But Jim is leaving here today, actually, and going to Mozambique, going off to uh, Nepal. Tell us just what you can tell us about that journey. Go ahead. going to Mozambique for, uh, I'll be in country about eight days, nine days, teaching a class at the seminary there and also doing a pastor's conference. And then on the way back, uh, since I'm already all the way around the world, uh, I decided to stop by, that's a relative term, yeah, stopping by, right. <laughs> go to Nepal. Uh, I want to go visit the pastors and the students and friends there and, and actually see firsthand what's happening. So I'm going to spend uh, 24 hours in Kathmandu area and uh, check it out, and I'll be back two weeks from tonight. So thanks for praying for me. Lord, we do pray for Jim as he goes. Uh, we know that the folks uh, there in Mozambique count on him. They uh, learn so much as he brings information, but also inspiration from your spirit. And I pray that that would uh, be a big difference in what's happening there in ministry. And also as he goes on to Nepal with those that he's developed relationships with, pastors, churches, leaders there, uh, may he be a great encouragement and comfort in some way. I'm sure he has no idea what to say with all the devastation that they have faced. But we just pray that you would give him that strength. Also allow him to uh, just know how we can pray and in a better way when he comes back. We thank you for the opportunity that we have and in this amazing time in history where we can travel like that. We can actually go and be a part of distributing but also a part of sharing and uh, just being your spirit, your hands and your feet to people in such a powerful way. So we pray that for him as he goes in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good. Thank you. Okay, why don't you stand up real quick, turn around, say hello to everybody near you, introduce yourself, greet them, welcome them. Very good.
All right. This a um, couple of weeks ago, I was meeting with a. All right, you guys are having way too much fun. Yeah. Somebody says yeah. <laughs> I love it. Did you notice today I made it over on this side to say hello to people? So uh, often I start over here and I hardly ever make it over here, so this time I spent time over there. A couple weeks ago I was uh, meeting with a uh, young person who um, has had issues with uh, drugs and alcohol and even prison time. And, and while we were sitting there talking, I uh, um, had just come from the day before, come from our Iron Hour, men's ministry, Wednesday mornings at 6.30, we have, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 guys, something like that, to get together for breakfast and do a discussion. And uh, several of the guys had said that they'd been in Frisco passing out Bibles, Gideon Bibles. And uh, so <coughs> we were sitting there talking at the table, this is a couple days later, and I said, hey, you have a Bible. Where'd you get that Bible? And this person held it up and said, somebody handed it to me in Frisco. I just love the way the Lord works. <laughs> and I said, so what are you doing with this thing? And this person said, well, I'm trying to read it. <laughs> Great. So we've met several times and just have been talking through, what in the world do you do with this book right here? Complicated. Lots of great stories. We're going to jump into one. But first, I want to remind you, August 30th, we have our annual congregational meeting. Um, that's three weeks from today. Our uh, ministry plan and budget is for you members or any of you that are interested is online. Go to our website. Right on the front page, dillonchurch.org, there's a button you can click, and you can download all the stuff you want to read it, especially if you struggle with insomnia. Uh, no, it's, it's really important because it tells you what our priorities are going to be for the coming year and how we're going to spend the money, your money. So I would think you would want to know. I know really well how we're going to spend your money, but I would think you would want to know. So download it and read it. There's also a place where you can sign up if you have questions or you can call any of the staff or elders and uh, meet with us and talk about it in preparation for the meeting. So I'd like to encourage you to take a look at that. If you uh, want to talk in the next two weeks, you'll have to email me. That's the only way you're going to get hold of me, is to do that. Also, we have uh, three elders that have been nominated to present to you. And sometime this coming week, their bios will be up on the website. So feel free to download those and read those as well. And you'll see who you're going to be voting on. Okay, we've been in the study all summer, looking at God. We've uh, talked a lot about Jesus, talked a lot about his spirit, and this summer we're talking about the Father, and he reveals himself in, throughout the Old Testament as God, sometimes God the Father, but we know him as God. It's a very ter a common term that we use in our culture, and so we've been trying to figure out who is this God. So we named the series The Engaging God, and the reason we named it that is because God loves to engage himself with us. It's very easy to think of God kind of get caught between these two poles. Is he a puppet master controlling everything? Or is he kind of like a clockmaker that stands back and just lets it all happen and unfold? And depending on where you are in your life, more than your theology, depending on what's going on in your life, you have one of those two viewpoints. It's very common. Sometimes it feels like God's not involved at all, doesn't it? You just look around and he just doesn't seem to be there. You don't get that sense. You don't hear him when you pray. 
you, uh, you don't see him work and you think maybe he just took a vacation, a hiatus. Other times it feels like he's too close, controlling too much, making too many things happen. We're trying to walk the road down the middle of that and talk about a God who loves us and engages himself with us. So where have we come? We talked about Genesis 1 and 2, a God who creates. The very first thing we learn in the Bible is that our God loves us, and so he made all of this just so we could enjoy it and to find another way to reveal himself to us. This is what this is for. In most churches, the back seat is the worst seat in the house. In our church, the back seat gets the best view. Everybody up top there. Yeah, they're all waving. Yeah, I love it. They're the ones that get to see the entire panoramic view. Then we went from there to Genesis 12 and looked at Abraham, how we have a God who loves to bless. He didn't forget us. We turned away from him and rebelled. And guess what? He didn't forget us. He told Abraham, I'm going to bless all of the nations through you. That's us, by the way. We're the recipients of that. He loves to bless. Then we went to Genesis 18 and 21, and we looked at uh, Isaac, the birth of Isaac. And what's in a name? Isaac. He laughs. God laughs. We have a God who remembers, and he has a great sense of humor. He loves us. We're his, we're his creation. We're his people. And so Isaac was a strong statement that God remembers. He remembered his promise to Abraham, and we're the beneficiaries of that. Then we went to Genesis 22, when Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. Yes, God does test us. How else do you know that your faith is real if it's not tested? You have to have it tested. In fact, how else can your faith grow if it's not tested? So God does bring things into your life. And there we use the imagery. Some of you have heard me say it several times of God, kind of like a parent with a two-year-old. And, and he's around the corner watching his two-year-old. Um, that's what you do as parents. And, uh, and the two-year-old, they think that they're free from their parents and they're doing whatever they want. And there's a certain amount of freedom going on with them. But at the same time, the parent is in control, aren't they? Nothing's going to happen to the two-year-old. And that's often what God does. He steps just quietly back. He's not talking. He's silent. But he's still very engaged in everything that's going on with us. Exodus 3, we looked at the name of God. I am. He's very personal in a world where the gods never revealed their names. You had to figure them out. We have a God that says, here's my name. There we talked about the fact that that's what introduced, we introduced each other that way. Hi, I'm Jim. Who are you? And if you've ever had a person say, you know, come up and say, hi, I'm Jim. And they say, oh, hi, it's nice to meet you. But they don't tell you their name. You feel a certain disconnect. What do you expect to hear from them? Oh, I'm Susan. I'm Don. I'm whoever. And if they don't tell you your name, then right off the bat, you're kind of short something there. And God reveals his name to us. And we went from there to Exodus 6. God redeems. I've heard my people groaning under the, the labor in, in Egypt. I've heard their cries, and I'm going to come down and redeem them. We have a God who redeems. And this is important for today. Remember what redemption is? Redemption, real simply, is when you get yourself in a bind, and you can't get yourself out of it, and somebody else comes along and, and rescues you, saves you, pulls you out of it. So whatever the bind might be, financial, you might be in relational trouble, you might be in criminal trouble, whoever, whatever, somebody comes along that has power and says, let me help you out of that. They're redeeming you. That's redemption. And God says, I've heard my people and the bondage they're under in slavery, and I'm going to rescue them. That's redemption. 
Last week, we looked in Deuteronomy 7 about how God is faithful. I didn't choose you because you were the biggest nation, he says to Israel. I chose you because you were the smallest. That way, you have no excuse. You have no reason to boast. Well, look how big we are. No, just the opposite. He chose them because they were very small, and he wanted to work his power through them. We see the same thing happening in the New Testament when Paul says, uh, when I am weak, then he is strong. When you are at your weakest moment, God is at his best. And that's really the heart of the gospel. We like to think that as elders and staff, we've kind of arrived. You know, we're there. We're the mature ones. But the truth is, the further you get away from the cross, the closer you get to the heart of the gospel. What's the heart of the gospel? Redemption to help people that are hurting and broken and are stuck. And they can't get anywhere. They can't, they can't get beyond where they are. So the further away you get from the, the cross, the closer you get to the heart of the gospel. It's a paradox. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Today, we're going to talk about a God who loves. He does love. And there's lots of places we could go in Scripture. You could probably, most of you could quote a verse about God loving us. Well, if I asked you for an example, I think all of you could point to the cross and say, well, there's an example of God loving us and plenty of other examples. And I picked a text that is a very difficult text. It's out of Hosea. It's a text that, it, honestly, it, it violates our sense of ethics. It's uncomfortable to us. It doesn't make sense to us why God would do this. I'm going to read to you the opening words. The word of the Lord, this is out of Hosea. That came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. That's important. That tells us that he ministered in this kingdom for about 40 years, best we can tell. And during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, the Lord began to speak through Hosea, and the Lord said to him, Go marry a prostitute. Right off the bat, we're stuck. Do what? Go marry a promiscuous woman, some of your translations say. Go marry a harlot. Oh yeah, and have children with her. Have children. Why, why in the world would God say that? It's interesting if you pick up commentaries, and I love to read scholars. Sometimes we dance around things that we can't quite figure it out. And uh, it's amazing to me the number of ways we've tried to get around this very difficult and challenging statement, go marry a prostitute. Well, under the law, really the only ones that couldn't do that were the priests. So anybody could have done this. It just wasn't expected. And God says, go marry a prostitute, a promiscuous woman. Have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Do you realize what the Lord is doing with this passage here? He's creating a parable out of someone's life to help a, become a picture to the people around them of what's going on. God does this all the time with you. Every one of your lives, you live in a fishbowl whether you like it or not. People notice you. The moment they find out that you're a Christian, then they start paying attention. Are you a Christian who grumbles? Are you a Christian who has lots of laws? Are you a Christian that tolerates anything and doesn't care? Are you a Christian that only is a Christian in church? 
Are you a Christian when you help people? Do they see that? They look at your lives. Sometimes your life becomes a statement. And that's what God designed us to be, by the way. Ephesians 3, to him be the glory in the church. He's designed us. Broken people, the Old Testament calls us deaf and blind. We are the witnesses to God by the way we live our lives. And that's what's happening right here. He had him go marry a promiscuous woman, prostitute, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. The Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu. Jehu is a king in, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 10 for the massacre at Jezreel. He did some good things at Jezreel. He, uh, he stuck up for the Lord and honored the Lord by killing a family of an evil person, but apparently he went too far because it looks like he might have committed a massacre and we get a glimpse of God doesn't like that. He doesn't like that. I'll put it into the kingdom of Israel and that day I will break Israel's vow in the valley of Jezreel. Okay, pause just for a second. Hosea is writing to, there's two kingdoms by now in Israel. They've broken up into the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. This is in the last part of the, the middle part of the 8th century BC. About 30 years from now, they're going to be overrun by the Assyrians. But they don't know that yet. Life is pretty good under this king, Jeroboam II. They've expanded their borders back to where almost where they were under Solomon in the glory days. They're, uh, they're, they're enjoying wealth and prosperity again. They're beginning to relax, but what they don't know is 30 or 40 years from now, it's going to be very terrible. Why? Because they have turned away from the Lord. That's why. So we're at the very end of the northern kingdom's reign, and Hosea is speaking. How would you like the task of telling a nation for 40 years that God's going to punish you? How would you like that task? I wouldn't like that at all. And yet that's what he's doing. And God says to do it by marrying this prostitute. Verse 6, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, or I have shown no mercy, or I am not loved, something like that. For I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, but I should all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, that's the southern kingdom, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, Verse 8, after she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son, and the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, which means you are not my people. Not my people. You are not my people. I am not your God. Just a few hundred years earlier, he had said, I will make you my people, and I will be your God. That was Exodus 6. We just looked at that two weeks ago. Man, we jumped a lot a lot of time between Exodus 6 and today when they've, when they've rebelled against him so hard that he says, I'm not going to be your God anymore. And I'm, you're not going to be my people. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. All right, now, let's say just a word about prophecy and prophets. We have Hosea recorded in 14 chapters. It's easy to read. You can read it in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, something like that. But you have to understand, 
this represents 40 years of what he's saying. So when you just read it straight through, he's saying, God is going to curse you. God's going to bless you. God's going to curse you. God's going to bless you. You go back and forth, chapter to chapter, and you kind of get this feeling like God is somehow schizophrenic. Okay? But you've got to remember, this is a collection of, of things that he was teaching over a long period of time. And what Hosea, I think what he really wants us to see through this is that he would stop and confront the people, and then he would tell them, but God still loves you. He has not forgotten you. He's going to punish you, but then he's going to turn around and bless you. And he goes right back because they're not listening. Hey, guys, did you not hear me? God doesn't like what you're doing. Stop it. But then God has not forgotten you. He's going to bless you. Hey, guys, how come you're not taking care of the poor? Did you not listen to me last year when I said this? But God has not forgotten you. He's going to bless you. That's what's going on as you read through this incredible book. So he goes on. So he says in verse 10, In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, my people. He just said, you're not my people. And now he's saying, uh, you really are. I'm not going to forget you. Say to your sisters, my loved ones. I will remember. As the story unfolds, we're going to look at a couple more passages. Here's what I want you to capture. The sorrows, the heartaches that we experience, they mirror God. It's an absolutely astounding, amazing thing that God made us in his image and then turned around and became our image by becoming human. The hurts that you feel, they mirror God. God chose this route that he would marry a prostitute because he's trying to communicate the, the hurt, the, the sorrow, the intense, deep sorrow that he feels over a people that are wandering away and ignoring him. What are they doing? They're abusing the poor. He talks about that. They're serving Baal. They're serving other gods. They're not serving him. They're mistreating widows. They're hurting the oppressed. They're being greedy because they're getting wealthier. And so he has him marry this prostitute. Some of you know what it's like to have a wife or a husband who's unfaithful. I know that. I know some of your stories. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? If you haven't, praise God, but you can picture it. How crushing it would be. I met with a guy who, uh, who's a good friend of mine. I met with him, and I said, hey, how's it going? And just tears started to flow. I said, oh, my goodness, what happened? And he said, uh, I couldn't find my phone this morning, so I went to borrow my wife's, and I unlocked it, and there's a picture of her with another man doing things they shouldn't be doing. Can you, can you sense the crushing pain? Well, look what happens. In chapter 3, the Lord said to me, Go show love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. She left him. She's gone. And God says, go back to her. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. 
though they turned to other gods and loved the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. And I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same toward you. The Lord said, go back and find her. Go find her. Buy her. They could do that back then. She was property. Can't really do that today. Life doesn't work that way. But do you see the story? It's an incredible story. Go buy her again. Buy her back. Well, Lord, don't you know how much this hurts? Yeah, I do. He says, I experience it. Every time you walk away, I experience it. Well, Lord, I I don't want to re-engage in that level of pain. I get that. He says, I know. I've been there. That's how much I love you, he says. I'm going to come back over and over and over and over again. And I'm going to keep coming back because you're important. You see how the story reveals a love that is incredible? The sorrow, the pains, the hurts that we feel, they model God's hurts. But his is more intense. So whatever you're feeling, he gets it. He understands it. He's been there. We live with one spouse and one family and friends. He lives with everybody on the planet. And he feels that rejection over and over and over again. What a great way to communicate to us this story. He goes back and he buys his wife. He buys his wife. We're going to jump all the way to the end of the book because I want you to hear how the story ends up from God's perspective. I will continue to pursue you, he says, over and over and over again. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. That's the nation that's just about to ransack them, to destroy them, to just tear this nation apart. It will cease to exist right after this. He's pleading with them. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our hands have made. In other words, we're going to look for the true God. We're going to look at the true God. I will be like a dew to Israel. He will be a blossom and a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon, and send down his roots. His splendor will be like an olive tree. Verse 7, his people will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. These are all words of blessing to a nation in a desert area. They will blossom like the the vine. The very last thing he says, who is wise, let them realize these things. Who is discerning, let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble. It's a tough book. Lots of ways God could just said, I love you, do you know that? But he decides to create a parable out of one man's life, like what he does with you. The hurts that you feel, they mirror the hurts of the Lord. He feels them the same. Your life becomes a parable for the people around you. And God does the same thing in your life that he did all the way through the nation of Israel. He was relentless in his pursuit. He doesn't give up. 
He comes after you. He comes after you. He comes after you. He's tapping you on the shoulder. Sometimes I think he creates circumstances to get your attention. He does whatever it takes. He knows you better than I do. He does whatever it takes for you to turn back to him. Why? It's called love. You know what? That's the basic idea of a covenant in marriage. That's the basic idea. That you learn to forgive and you learn to show grace when somebody, when a spouse sins against you. I know that some of you, I say this often, you hear me, some of your marriages are in trouble. Don't be ashamed of that. Every marriage here worth our salt has been in trouble at least once. Nancy and I have been in trouble. Ask her, he asked me. Don't be ashamed. Come forward and say, I need help in my marriage. It's in trouble. It's in trouble. That's the whole idea of covenant. And this book portrays that covenant with a God who loves us passionately. So, I could have talked about the cross. Could have talked about the words about God's love for us. God is love, John tells us. Could have talked about all those things, and I thought it'd be helpful to look at a very difficult passage. Go marry a pro- an adulteress. Go marry a prostitute. Go marry a, prom- a promiscuous woman. She's not going to love you back because I want you to see what I do with my people day in and day out. Paul says, though we are faithless, he remains faithful. That's the God that we serve. That's how deep and committed his love is. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for just showing us grace that is it's just mind-boggling. It's grace beyond grace. It's, it's grace that is difficult for understand and to understand, Lord. It's, it's grace that, wow, you forgive us because you love us. Lord, I confess to you that with children and grandchildren, I only have just a small glimpse, just a tiny glimpse of what that grace is like. but I'm grateful for it. Thanks for loving us that much. In your son's name we pray, amen. And ask the ushers to come down and take the offering. And again, I just want to say, as I say every Sunday, thank you for your generosity. You guys are wonderful. You are the ones sitting right here. You're the ones that make it possible for us to do what we're doing here. VBS, all the ministries that we do, that's all captured in our ministry plan and budget. That's how we formalize it. But you're the ones that are generous. Thank you for being generous. Your 
close our time by having communion together as a faith community, and I'd like to invite uh, people that want to serve us communion and pray for us to come on down. Um, you know, we have lots of people that are love to serve communion. Come down and just get us ready. The uh, Romans 5.8 is a wonderful passage. It talks about God's love, 
you probably know it as soon as I start talking, many of you have heard it. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And that's the story of communion. That's why we close our time together celebrating this wonderful, wonderful thing that Christ did. So when, we, when you leave here today, we want you to say, we celebrate. We remember the Lord. We remember what he did. And just for one brief moment, we stop and we're able to say, yeah, he does love us. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When you come down, somebody's going to say, this is the body of Christ given for you. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. I love that language. An entirely new way of relating to this one true God who we believe in. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Paul adds, as often as we do this, we remember his death until he comes. That's why we close our time together. Just as a time of community, just enjoying briefly, pausing what the Lord has done. So I'm going to pray and invite you down for communion. When you come down, stop and pray with us. There's people on either side here, and I'm in the middle. We love to pray with people. Tell me what's going on. Tell us how to pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. I know that we'll never fully understand the sacrifice that he made. Lord, we, we just have a small glimpse of his love for us. Jesus, thank you for paying the price while I'm still a sinner for dying for me. In your name we pray, amen. Come and enjoy communion.